Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, podcasters of Ireland and the world. And, and the streamers, let's not forget that. And of course the streamers. Are you, are you a streamer or a podcaster yourself, Murph? Well, I'd be a podcaster, but I know that uh, Tony and Francis Murphy and Milthand like to gather around the extremely large laptop. And listen play, in. play the SoundCloud. Play, play the SoundCloud. Yeah, I mean the the idea of uh, see, well, Dad was bought an iPhone, but didn't actually bother to you know hook it up. He thought it's not for me. So I mean, he's a, he's a streamer, and I mean, you know, more power to him, and more power to all of you streamers out there. You're uh, you're the forgotten cousin in many ways. It's Second Captain's producer and broadcasting journeyman Mark Horgan here for Owen today. Beside me is Murph. Say hello, Murph. Hello there, Mark. And Ken. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very well, lads. Good Thanks. To see you. And you, Ken. Delighted to be doing the show today. Thanks for the opportunity, particularly on such a great week of live sport here in early January. I know, yeah, it's, it's chock-a-block. Those old burn cup round two matches won't cover themselves, Murph. I know, I know. Apparently Maynooth did very well. They're a great side out last night. Of course, the FBD League, the McGrath Cup. I mean, it's a smorgasbord, Mark. Is Do we have enough time in the show to cover all of these well, events? Well, don't forget two Irish provinces have tricky away fixtures in Italy this weekend as well, Murph. <laughs> sure, Treviso and Zebra are cemented to the bottom of the table, but that's when they're at the most dangerous. I know, I know. I mean, listen, they're gonna, you know, it's a long road that has no turning. Honestly, does McDevitt pick the weeks to go on holiday where he'll miss the least amount of sport? I, I, think, I think he does. I yeah. think he probably does. I mean, I mean, we'd, would any of us be surprised that he takes oh. a look at the extended sporting calendar and says, you know what, I'm probably not going to be able to catch all of those games. Well, I do, I do that as well. I kind of go and uh, there's not that much football on. Usually, you the last time you went on holidays was when Roy Keane was announced. Uh, That's true. Ireland. <laughs> uh, who could have Who could have expected that to happen uh, just at that moment? I just I just hope Becky Owen's girlfriend is ready for lots of chats about why players should celebrate against their former clubs. <laughs> and the Johnny Sexton book as well. Yeah. Uh, we have a brilliant Irish Times second captain's podcast coming up for you today. US Murph was involved in a high profile on air spat with the CEO of San Francisco 49ers over the Christmas break. Brian wasn't happy with the removal of Jim Harbaugh and let this guy know all about it. We'll chat to him very shortly. Um, who's the most how high-powered person you've ever challenged on air, Ken? Stevie Staunton still top of the tree? Maybe Don Givens? Over the, the infamous uh, Stephen Arnold affair? Howard Kendall? No. Hang Ten Gaudi. Yeah, I mean, there, there have been a few, Ken, that you've, you've had a, a pop off of. Yeah. Speaking of taking pops, Murph, I heard you complain on Monday show about the darts. 
and I didn't like it. I know, Mark. Don't I hate know. on what you don't understand. That's what the <laughs> that's what the UFC fans always say to Ken when he's complaining about Conor yeah. McGregor. Well, uh, what what exactly do I not understand about the darts? If you do hate the PDC so much, there's only one thing you're going to hate more, and that's the that's BDO. the BDO. <laughs> that's that's BDO. the BDO that's happening at the moment of the BBC. If anyone wishes to be transported back to the late '80s and early '90s, just switch on BBC Two late at mm. night. I watched the the action from the lakeside. It actually looks like the footage from the submarine bar yeah. during Italia 90, you know, <laughs> on uh, Reeling in the Years. <laughs> and, you know, luckily I'm a big fan of those years, so I'm addicted to it. Ted the Count Hanky didn't qualify this year, Murph, unfortunately. Oh, uh, had he not gone to the PDC, you know? I can't believe you're roping <laughs> me into this. Ted the Count Hanky, no, he's all, he was always, himself and Wolfie Adams always stayed through the well, BDO. Actually, so. great wins last night for Wolfie and, oh, uh, and the Dazzler Daryl Fitton. And actually, speaking of, uh, of Daryl Fitton, I remember my favourite bit of commentary on darts yeah. of all time was when uh, Tony Green, the BBC commentator, he was introducing Daryl Fitton when he first came on the scene. Back in the day, he said, uh, Daryl Fitton from Stockport. Favourite food? Mince and onion. <laughs> <laughs> mince and onion. It's like halfway to a spaghetti bolognese. but uh, I've just... no problem with mince, but it's just as my favourite. I don't know how, it's surely not your favourite you, meal. You're going to have to throw something else in there to make that a meal, surely. Put it in a pasty, put it in a pie. It's sort of, a, well, it's a sort of an Atkins... Concept, yeah, I suppose that. Yeah, you know, you wouldn't gain too much weight eating mince and onion. <laughs> was he a slim man? He wasn't a slim man, Ken. Okay, well, no. he must have uh, must have been uh, bulking it up with something else. I want to play the greatest interview that's ever happened in the history of darts. This is involving Wayne Mardle. It's from a match in two thousand and five in Netherlands. He's just been beaten by Coast Stompy, and he immediately goes off stage to speak to Dutch TV, but he doesn't know it's live. Wayne, after last night, we talked a little, and how do you feel right now? Pissed off again, eh? Yeah, I lost. Yeah, fuck's sake, I'm not losing. Wait, I'm not losing. I'm fucked off. You get me in ten minutes, I'll be all right. I shouldn't interview you now. So I better go to go now, or. First, I asked a ghost some questions. It's too late now. What's that? Are you interviewing me or not? Seriously. Right, there we go. Come on. Is there an explanation for this? Is there an explanation for this? Or we know you as a very good dart player. No, I'm playing shit. But is there an explanation for that? Or no, of course it's not. Of course it's not. How do you prepare for the last match then? These are the questions that you should be asking when we're live. Oh, we're live now. We're not live now. Yeah, we're live. There you are on television. I'm serious. Yeah. Well, I wasn't told. Sorry? I should have been told. Oh, I thought you know. You gotta check out the video of that online if you haven't seen it already. The there expressions of Wayne Mullins' face are too funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should have been told. I saw. I mean, he's an experienced television professional as well. I saw him doing punditry on the on the darts uh, there last week. So I don't know. I think he probably. I think he must have known what he was doing. Sounds like someone's been watching their darts, Ken. Well, I have been. I have to admit, I have watched a little bit of it, yeah. We'll also get to your messages in our virtual mail satchel a little later, but Ken, the big sporting story today surrounds the convicted rapist, Chet Evans. It seemed like Oldham were going to sign him this morning. What's the latest now? It's, it's like it's taken an even darker turn in some respects. Well, apparently Oldham are not going to sign him. Um, this has not yet uh, been confirmed by uh, their chairman, uh, but a director has told the BBC they're not going to sign him uh, and that there was sponsor uh, pressure on sponsors, pressure on... Uh, members of the Oldham board are the reason why they haven't gone ahead with it. 
What type of pressure? Um, well, uh, I mean, there's been a f- there've been various rumours flying around. The BBC had put up a story, which which they have since deleted. Dan Rowan is a BBC journalist uh, who tweeted earlier um, that an older board member had told us deal to sign Chad Evans is off due to quote enormous pressure from sponsors and threats to staff and their families. Uh, this BBC story originally contained a paragraph in which it was claimed that uh, one of the directors had said that uh, somebody had told them that they knew where their daughter worked and that if uh, the daughter, uh, that essentially if they went ahead and signed Chad Evans, that the daughter would be raped. This was the this was originally claimed. That paragraph has since deleted, uh, although obviously it having been there for a short period of time means that it's sort of now out there and you know it's reported several other places. I see some other newspapers, Daily Mail certainly making reference to that claim, uh, and obviously going around quite a lot on Twitter, which is just a, kind of an insane. Uh, kind of an insane thing, but it does. I mean, it is clear that there was a lot of pressure. I mean, there was a petition with nearly seventy thousand signatures mm. um, again protesting against Oldham possibly signing Chad Evans. So it seems as though Oldham have decided that this is uh, uh, this is not going to go ahead. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a lot more depth a little later. But first, let's get straight to this. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. And he's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Get Okay, for the first time in 2015, we welcome back our beloved U.S. Murph. How are you doing, Brian? I'm good. I'm beloved in 2015. Yeah, I like time. that very much. So, happy New Year, guys. 2015. 2015. Shouldn't we be, uh, we should all be flying around in individual spaceships now, right? And this wearing, is, uh, well, it is the little... year of Back to the Future Part, part 2, you know. We should have our uh, our flying skateboards by now. It's an outrage. Oh, is that right? In the movie, 2015 was the year? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I guess by the, by December 31, 2015, we'll have a tale to tell then, I think. Yeah, huh? yeah. Humanity has let us down thus far, but it's got 12 months. Well, Brian, <laughs> lots, lots of major stories happening since we spoke last, and they're coming from your area too. Jim Harbaugh is no longer the coach of the 49ers. Oh. And your last move of 2014 was to become the bad boy of San Francisco journalism, a bloodthirsty sports news hound. You've gone viral once again after giving the 49ers top dog CEO Jed York what for on your show on New Year's Eve. We're going to have a little listen to it here, actually. Here's the clip. And it is your job, Jed, to manage the dysfunction or to manage whatever the philosophical differences were because winning is the only thing that matters and you guys are winning. Why couldn't you manage it? Winning isn't the only thing that matters. Winning with class is what matters. Were you not winning with class? I, I mean, are you not going to blast us for off-the-field stuff for the last three or four years? Was that Jim Harbaugh's fault? It, collectively, it was all of our fault. So why, when there are more heads rolling than other than Jim Harbaugh's, should Trent Balky have been held accountable and, and maybe a mutual parting of ways with him? I, I mean, I think... Trent and I are philosophically aligned on what we want to do with this team. We're getting sort of closer to the smoking gun. This is a problem no. you had with the Harbaugh era? No, I, I, I mean, this isn't on Jim. This is on the collective group of us. So why was Jim the one to pay the price? He, he wasn't the one to pay the price for that. 
Man, I'm uh, having trouble coming to coming to grips with. I, 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 you guys were winning at a historic clip, and you've chosen to go the other way. How can you justify that? I mean, you've asked me that like 17 times already. This was a mutual decision between Jim and I. I, I, I don't know what else to tell you. If you refuse to believe that, I, I, I can't. I can't help you. I, I, I don't know what else to say. And you come across as such a nice guy in our show, Brian. <laughs> Boy, really, what a jerk. <laughs> Man. How could you never do that to McDevitt? <laughs> I would have been one of these people, uh, you know, taking Jed's side. No, my God. God, it's fun to hear. It's kind of funny to hear. It kind of went on and on and on, guys, too. Yeah. That was just a, a brief clip. Well, yeah, you know, uh, sometimes the uh, the occasion calls for the difficult questions. We had a... Uh, I mean, it's a huge story here in America is Jim Harbaugh. He's such an electric personality, such a lightning rod. And then for me personally invested as a lifelong San Franciscan uh, and 49er fan, I just sit back and watch what was happening to the team, and I see a botched management moment where uh, the team was winning at a historic clip, and then they decided because the guy was a jerk or because they didn't like the way he acted behind closed doors or they didn't like something about him, they decided not that, that whatever their personal problem was with him was more important than the winning on the field. And the biggest thing, guys, was that they're, they're, they didn't really answer the questions. And, and he kept saying it was a mutual, it was a mutual, mm. it was a mutual. But Jim Harbaugh kept saying, well, I work at the pleasure of the organization. I work at the pleasure of the organization. So he was not, um, co- he was not uh, co-signing the mutual thing. Then they put out a press release, which is – you know, kind of weak, and and then Jed said at one point to me, "Did you not read the press release?" I said, "Like the press release is gospel." And in fact, there's actually another chapter today or yesterday. Jim Harbaugh went on ESPN, and they asked him what happened in San Francisco, and he said, "I sat down with the owner, and we had a conversation, and I got a sense of the direction they wanted to go, so I left." So again, he uh, refused to buy into the whole mutual thing. So we as 49ers fans. And NFL fans are left to see one of the most successful coaches in recent NFL history, even though he did not win a Super Bowl. He won a ton of games and put the 49ers in the mix each year that he coached until this year when they missed the playoffs. And instead they've decided to blow it up, not only that, with no good, no good reason to blow it up, and not only that, no good successor lined up. If you're going to do something like this, you got and you can see this in anywhere in sports, whether it's English Premier League soccer or Irish Nationals football or rugby, if you're going to blow something up, you better have a plan. And what we're seeing now as they just open up the doors and have interviewed pretty much everybody under the sun is that he didn't really have a plan. So bad times in San Francisco, boys. Yeah, Brian, now that his era is over, just remind us about this situation, what the situation was when, when Harbaugh took over. Well, when Jim Harbaugh took over, the 49ers were finishing up about an eight-year run from 2002 to 2010 that was one of the darkest eras in, in franchise history. The 49ers, since 19, from 1981 to 2002, were on a 30-year run of not just winning five Super Bowls, but being in the mix every year and making the playoffs. I don't have the exact number in front of me. Out of those 31 years, I want to say it was about 25 or 26 of those 31 years they made the playoffs. So they were, they were one of, if not the most important team in the NFL as far as success. I mean, you could argue the Green Bay Packers – Pittsburgh Steelers, Dallas Cowboys, other teams that won multiple Super Bowls during that run. The 49ers were right there on that Mount Rushmore of franchises of the last 30 years. The New England Patriots have kind of become the new 49ers in the sense of coach, quarterback, and wins. But what happened was Jim Harbaugh took over in 2011 and instantly made them good. They went from 
eight years of missing the playoffs to 13 wins and three losses in his first year. They made the NFC Championship game. They lost in overtime to the New York Giants, a heartbreaker, when their punt returner, Kyle Williams, fumbled a punt that cost them the game. The very next year, they made the switch to Colin Kaepernick, and they made it to the Super Bowl and drove all the way down the field and were on the five-yard line about to beat the Baltimore Ravens when uh, Kaepernick uh, threw a pass to Michael Crabtree, went incomplete, and the 49ers lost. The very next year, they made the NFC Championship again, and that was the famous game where last January, one year ago, Colin Kaepernick launched his pass towards Richard Sherman and Michael Crabtree. Sherman tipped it away, intercepted by Malcolm Smith, and the Seahawks went to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. And from that point on, from the moment Richard Sherman tipped that pass, things got real weird in San Francisco. There was a story that broke in February that the Cleveland Browns tried to trade for Jim Harbaugh, and everybody said, wait, what? Three straight years of NFC championships, why are they talking about trading Harbaugh? And then in the summertime, the NFL Network began reporting leaks inside the building that their, uh, Jim Harbaugh would be gone at the end of the year, and everybody wondered, what the hell's going on? So the whole year was a burning building of dysfunction, and now here we are. Now, no question, I want to make sure we're on the record here saying uh, Jim Harbaugh is a very difficult guy to work with and for. He's a difficult guy to be around. He, he views everything in life as a competition. He rankles a lot of people. He steps on a lot of toes. And that could happen at the University of Michigan any time in the next two, three years. Of course, that's a little different because it's an emotional homecoming for him. He played at Michigan. Michigan football is a 120-year-old tradition that those who are affiliated with it have a great, deep, sentimental attachment to it. But so what happened was Harbaugh became too difficult for Trent Baalke and Jed York to handle his competitiveness, his argumentativeness. So if you want to take their side, and probably what would have been better is if Jed York had said, listen, mm. the guy, we don't like the guy. It's, I'm the CEO. It's my decision. If you don't like it, tough. But the namby-pamby uh, mutual thing he kept stressing, where he didn't want to take responsibility or take ownership of the move, I think is what left most fans bewildered and baffled. Right now, the premier relationship of coach and GM is the champs, Pete Carroll, and the general manager, John Schneider, up in Seattle. They make beautiful music together. Uh, those are the t kind of things you need to succeed, and Trent Baalke and Jim Harbaugh didn't have it. Just going back to that interview with Jed York again, Brian, um, you gave him quite a grilling, quite a going over, and it was brilliant, actually. We've just tweeted if anyone wants to check it out. And I think I know the answer to this, but did you have any concerns yourself about going after the CEO of your city's biggest sports franchise when you work for a sports radio station there? You know, I'm sure a lot of people thought Jed York came across quite poorly, and thus he'll have had his ego bruised. So could that have repercussions access-wise for you guys in the future, and do you care either way? Well, it's a good question, and uh, it's a relevant question. And I think the answer is no, I didn't care because of two things. One, I, I have a newspaper background for years before I became this uh, this uh, softball-tossing morning guy on radio. <laughs> uh, I was a print guy. I was a journalist from 1989 to 2004, and I come from that background of asking the questions that need to be asked. So I was comfortable doing that. I, I, I realized that... It may not have been in character with all the other interviews we've done through the years in the mornings, but we've never had a moment of crisis like this before. They, you know, for me, it was like use the tools necessary for the, for the task. And it's like if you're going to you know, dig a hole, you need a shovel. If you're going to uh, you know, saw some wood, you need a saw. So when Jim Harbaugh gets blown out for no particular reason, you have to ask hard questions. So, no, I wasn't uncomfortable in that sense. And the other part, I, I felt like every question I asked of him was a legitimately honest and organic question that, that truly did gnaw at me as a lifelong 
San Franciscan and 49er fan, and I was thinking that this just doesn't – there's a lot of questions here, and he did 50 minutes of a press conference the day before. Mm. Now, what happens at a press conference is you have 100 reporters all shouting questions, so nobody really has a thread that they can work on. One guy gets a question, Jed finds a way to answer it quickly, and then on to the next question from a totally different guy working a totally different angle. So when you have them one-on-one, you can build on answers and threads, and you can be more specific about your questions. So I was able to, this opportunity, and I thank Jed for coming on. He knew, and he should have known that he was going to be, there's a chance it was going to get unpleasant. He probably should have been better prepared for it, which raises questions about his preparedness for the job. But, so no, I didn't have a problem, because A, I have a, a background of doing that kind of stuff, and I don't apologize for it, and B, I thought all the questions I asked were honest and relevant, and so I can sleep soundly knowing that it wasn't a vindictive thing. It wasn't a cheap shot thing. I've always had a decent relationship with Jed York, but I strongly disagreed with this move, and I told him that at the outset. I said, I know, because he came on very chatty and glib. And yeah, I, said, I think I wanna... he thought he was going to get an easy run, didn't he? Because he, he mentioned, did. oh, I love you guys, and he thought that's, that's he the said. reason I came on, and was, I think he thought it was going to be handy. But did you get any reaction afterwards from him? Did you get any indication of what I he thought I haven't heard it? from him, and yeah. I thought about reaching out, and I haven't. I'm going to let the dust settle right now. They're, they're looking for their new coach, and we did, of course, my program director heard from the 49ers, and they were not happy, but there's not going to be. We have a 10-year con. The funniest tweet was uh, from a listener who immediately after he said, great interview, but my question is, which radio station has the broadcast rights to 49ers games next year? Because we, we can see the Niners leaving KNBR after that. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, we have a 10-year contract with them, and, and, you know, this too shall pass kind of thing. You know, it's a, they're going to hire a new coach, and then they're going to play a game next fall, and that will be all anybody cares about. But certainly Jed York had a lot of things to answer to, and the problem is he didn't answer to them well. Will he come back on your show again? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think so. We have other day, day parts on our airwaves. Uh, there's the 9 to noon show he could go on. There's the noon to 3 show had a host uh, who's very adamantly in support of him. He probably, in retrospect, should have gone on that show. Yeah. That host uh, is another Irish last name, Fitzgerald. He, uh, Bob Fitzgerald has always been in Jed's corner, so he he probably will will go on his show. He'll go on our noon to three time slot, I'm sure. But I think that's our last Jed York visit for a while. Yeah, well, you did it right while you were uh, while you were doing it. So anyway, on the field, the playoffs are continuing, and the Dallas Cowboys finally win a game in the the playoffs, beat the Detroit Lions on Sunday night, and. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I actually I watched the first game in full, the Cole Spangles, but uh, was in between things and actually just flicked on just as they were scoring the vital fourth or the vital touchdown in the fourth quarter, and uh, the camera pans to Jerry Jones in the owner's <laughs> box, and there's a there, an extremely large man yeah. uh, running around the place up there, and I was like, that's not. Golden boy of the Republican Party, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, up there, is it? And turns out there he was. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What was he doing up there? All the talk and just, I mean, well, first of all, there's no getting around it. And I know it's a sensitive topic for him and his his supporters. They don't care. But his physical appearance truly does make a difference in in how he's perceived. And it, it does not lend itself towards taking him overly seriously because he's just. He looks silly sometimes, and he's wearing an orange sweater, which he mm. claims is his lucky sweater for the Cowboys. Now, there are many permutations of this thing. One, you mentioned the Republican Party. He will likely run for president in 2016. He and Jeb Bush and Rand Paul probably like the three main competitors for the or Mitt Romney, too, they're saying there's a comeback. So we're talking about a major player in the U.S. political field. He's the governor of New Jersey, a major state right there next to New York. 
and uh, and the New Jersey is the home of the New York Giants. That's where they play. The New York Giants and Dallas Cowboys are bitter rivals, mm. bitter rivals. So not only is it weird to have the governor of New Jersey uh, just kind of gallivanting around in an NFL box that's not the New York Giants, it's weird that it happens to be the direct rival of the New York Giants. So uh, this would be not going over well politically. Now, he... Uh, of course, he's kind of a spitfire, and part of what people like about him as a politician is that he's very, uh, you know, he's very independent-minded as far as like he'll speak his mind, he'll, 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 he'll not lie down or try to be politically correct. So he's fired back at people saying, "I don't care what you say, leave me alone." I've been a Cowboy fan since I was a kid. I loved Roger Staubach. He was a great quarterback for the Cowboys in the 1970s, one of the legendary quarterbacks in NFL history. So maybe that's true. Probably is true. But still, it was ex- extremely unusual to see a man who's got a job, an important job to do, leaving the state to go to Texas, of all places, and partying with the, one of the more flamboyant and uh, you know, uh, egomaniacal owners in the NFL. Basically, there was a lot to dislike there. Yeah. Two uh, rich white men hugging each other uh, in, a, in a box of privilege, offending his home state's constituents. Uh, offending most sports fans in America think who don't like the Dallas Cowboys. They're a very yeah. hateable franchise. Uh, and wearing an orange sweater while doing it. So there's all kind of fallout, negative fallout mostly for Chris Christie. Yeah, well, I mean, the the idea that a guy from New Jersey would support the Dallas Cowboys isn't, I suppose, that outrageous because they are known as America's team and all the rest of that, and they play up to that hugely. But people are so convinced that there were a couple of very tight refereeing calls in the fourth quarter that the Lions are very upset about. The NFL have said they made a mistake. Uh, that You know, they're even suggesting that that they're so desperate for the Cowboys to get back to the top table that, you know, these tight refereeing calls are going to go their way. But are they legitimate Super Bowl contenders, do you think? They are definitely legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and certainly that was a an easy um, and, and maybe correct interpretation is that the Dallas Cowboys have not been uh, Super Bowl champs in almost 20 years. 1995 was their last Super Bowl season. And they are a team that, as you can just hear from me, uh, they're a lightning rod. I'm not a Cowboy fan. I'm not a fan of Cowboys culture or Texas culture, Jerry Jones and all that stuff. Although I must say Jerry Jones is quite a per, kind of a fun, personable interview when you have him on. It's just that he represents kind of that big and brash and in-your-face Dallas Cowboys star. Built the biggest stadium in America to make sure that he had the biggest, the famous cliche, everything's bigger in Texas, is kind of Jerry Jones personified, right? But, you know, it's been 20 years. Now, you know, where are we on conspiracy theories in this world? You, you meet people in all walks of life, and you meet people who believe in them. I'm not a particularly conspiracy theorist. I think it's almost too much work for conspiracy theories to come together. It's like you've got to put a lot of energy into a conspiracy theory. And if there was a conspiracy theory, you would have thought that the Cowboys would have been better sometime in the last 20 years uh, where was the NFL helping them out at other playoff games that they've lost? Tony Romo's lost a number of playoff games. So what I think you just had was you had a botched call. Uh, you know, it was a pass interference call on the Cowboys that would have kept the Lions drive alive. The referees uh, called it and then reversed it, and, and they botched it. Because you don't call it and announce it and then reverse it. Uh, any number of times a flag gets thrown, referees talk, and then they pick it up and say there's no flag on the play. But the problem was the referee, the head referee, Pete Morelli, made the mistake of announcing the penalty first, saying pass interference, number 59, defense, first down, then reversing the call. So they, they botched the procedure of it. They botched the the, uh, the protocol of it. Now, if you want to believe it's because Chris Christie was in the box, I think Howie Long 
one of the prominent American uh, sports commentators, football commentators, a Hall of Fame football player for the Raiders. He actually said right after the game, jokingly, he said, I don't know, did they pick up the flag because New Jersey Governor Chris Christie was in the box? And it's like, it's like he has that kind of juice. Like he's like the president of the United States. He's he not. He slows down a bridge, Brian. He can, he yeah, can do well, these things. You know? This is true. This is true. <laughs> See, now we're getting into stuff here. We're getting into stuff, closing down bridges, getting flags picked up. So maybe I'm naive here. So the Cowboys now go to Lambeau Field, guys, which is, you know, obviously a great historical game because the last time they played in January at Green Bay was the famous Ice Bowl. We've talked about that on the show before, the the historically cold game, the coldest game in NFL history, and the incredible stakes where the Green Bay Packers beat the Cowboys on the last second sneak by Bart Starr. And so uh, we redo that, and sure the Cowboys are. They went 8-0 on the road this year. They won, uh, what, they went 12 or 13 games this year. I mean, they had a fantastic year, Tony Romo, and they have a running back named DeMarco Murray who's really a huge part of their success, and their defense is way better than people thought, and they have the best receiver in football in Des Bryant. So they have a lot going for them. Aaron Rodgers has a calf injury. If it flares up during the game, it could totally handicap the Packers' chances. And the Cowboys have gone to Seattle and won. They have gone to Seattle and won in the place where nobody can win. Dallas has done it. So they would then go to Seattle if the Seattle Seahawks beat Carolina, as expected. And you would have Tony Romo at Seattle next week. So it's on the table, guys, and all all because that flag got picked up while the orange-sweatered Chris Christie watched. So the Cowboys might do it in 2015, Brian, but you know what we need to make happen this year, don't you? Second, What's that? Second captain's broadcast in San Francisco, Brian Murphy. Oh, you up for it? Are you kidding me? Well, how about first the, the Murph visit to Dublin and then the return, the return visit to San Francisco? How's that? <laughs> well, listen, we were thinking about asking Jed York to finance it, but that's off the cards now at this stage. <laughs> the yeah. 49ers should play a game in Dublin, a preseason game in Dublin, and me and Jed will fly over first class. Yeah, it's been 10 years since we first started chatting, so it's probably about time we met up with each other in person, I think. It is, and, and I'd be more than happy to have you boys come on over. Come on, we'll go to a, your favorite, a baseball game, and I'll, t- I'll t- get you guys garlic fries and anchor steam beer. So it's Good. Happy New Year, Brian. Happy New Year, guys. In the final and on in again. And to be sent off. He's going to be yellow card. A gasp bank. Oh, what about that? Send him off. Send the dirty guys off. You'll ball this get, Campbell. A gasp bank. Ken, a trip to San Francisco this year. Sound good to you? I really, really like the idea of going there this year. September apparently is time to go to San Fran. Just, and again, you know, just throwing it out there, but apparently September. Brian's pretty open to it as well, isn't he? Well, staying in his gaff though, we might live to regret that one. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Did he actually say that? Well, but I mean, I think he, it's implied. I mean, if you're inviting someone over, you're not inviting someone over to the, to the city. You're inviting them into, the, into their house. Of into course. Your house. I mean, that's 
I mean, that's that's a given, surely. I mean, I, I would have thought. The Legion of Second Captains listeners in California get in touch with us at Second Captains if you want to see us sweating our way over to you and speaking of get in touch. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh, God. That's just it. I just oh, mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click. We don't normally broadcast all the, the stuff that comes from scum around the country. Yes, as I open our virtual mail satchel this week and look inside, correspondence from the scum within comes in the shape of an email from column to editor at secondcamps.com. Dear lads, I was minding my own business, enjoying my regular instalment of Funny Friday with Joe Duffy on Liveline last week. <laughs> Good bad. And the jewel in the Funny Friday crown, Irish musical legend Bruce Shields, mentioned second captains. Apparently, yep. you snubbed a genius idea of his. Is this true? And who did the snubbing? What? P.S. Liveline was on the bus. I, I, didn't, I didn't hear well, this. Well, Ken, let's, let's have a listen to this first of all. Last March, I was watching the thing called Second Captain. Uh-huh. It's a humorous comedy show. I saw that. You were doing the superstars, superstars from 19. <laughs> Although it was Johnny Logan, myself, Ronan, and a great pal of mine. Jerry Loftus from Newsbridge, plus Michael Lester and countless others. Okay. So they showed this, and they, I looked terrific, 1982, and I'm running along in the steeplechase, and I'm basically walking it. Look great. The joke is I get injured. So I rang up the programme and I said, uh, I reckon I can run as fast uh, 22 years later. So wow. they said, all right, never rang me back. So I went out the side. <laughs> <laughs> they right. said, brush you? Uh, yeah, good luck. Right, who did it? <laughs> was it who, who, snub, who snubbed the brush, Ken? Did you, it wasn't me. I I, I didn't realise Brush is okay, in touch. Okay, I f- I feel I should step forward now. Um, I had a discussion with Brush Shields. He rang you up uh, multiple times. Multiple. Go on. Th- I mean, when you say multiple, what? do you mean twice? I'm going to say four. Don't be times. cruel to the Brush here. So no, I'm not being cruel. I'm not being cruel at all. Why didn't you mention it? I mentioned it. I mentioned it to Mark. You didn't say it to me. I'm sorry, Ken. Okay, I'm sorry. So sorry. what was? It was a crazy time in all of our lives. I mean, you know, you, so you answer you, the phone to. Brush Shields, I mean, it's a bit of a life-changing moment. Murph, no humorous comedy show worth its salt. I know. Snubs Brush Shields. It, listen, I'm sorry, okay? Apologise to Brush directly. Lines of, communications, lines of communication do need to be improved. So I'll apologise to you, Ken. I'll apologise to Brush Shields. And I'll, I will actually also apologise to the, the, the watching public as well. Because I feel maybe I've denied you some, some real comedy gold there. So I'm sorry, okay? I'm sorry. You get your pound of flesh, Horgan. Ken, what's coming up in the football show? That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 the yellow card. Nah, that's actually go up, sir. I'll have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I've got to throw punches. What you doing down here, you shorty man? <laughs> We are going to talk a little bit about uh, Lionel Messi's situation in Barcelona. I know you were talking about this um, on Monday, but things have kind of moved on since then. There's an election uh, been called to Barcelona for the summer. He's followed Chelsea on Instagram. Things have really started to spin out of control there. Uh, we're also going to talk about Everton, where uh, who've been spinning out of control for a while now. Actually, they're playing Manchester City this weekend. Uh, so we'll see what's, what's been going on there over the last little while. Follow Chelsea on Instagram. Yeah. What a uh, bold move. It it's like when any... it's like when Ken back in the day uh, followed Four uh, FM on Bebo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a message loud and clear there, Ken. Well, it's I mean it, it, the way that Messi communicates. I mean, that's, it's one of the most sort of eloquent public statements he's made for a while. You know, he's not a he's not a very verbal guy. Um, he expresses himself best with a ball, and when he he also expresses himself quite loud and clear with who he chooses to follow on social media. So, uh, in the absence of you know, any actual statements from Lionel Messi, that's a fairly, uh, that qualifies as a fairly powerful one. 
Okay, that's also available now. Uh, Irish Times second captain's football. Now, as we mentioned earlier, convicted rapist Chad Evans moved to Oldham is off. Malky Clerkin joins us to talk about it now. How are you doing, Malky? All right, Mark. Now, you wrote an article around the time um, that Chad Evans moved to Sheffield United looked like it was happening. You wrote, The most common argument made for Evans being welcomed back by Sheffield United or any other club is that everyone must have the right to rebuild a career, no matter their walk of life and no matter their crime. Take the emotion out of it and the dispassionate argument is pretty easy to make. But to be dispassionate about it is to pretend that rape is just like any other crime and that professional football is just like any other walk of life. Neither of these things is true. The argument that Evans will be allowed to go back to being a plumber without a word of objection ignores the fact that, like it or not, sport is different um, why is it okay for Evans to go back to a working class job like a plumber and not the football I, d- I don't think I argued that at all I, I, I think the point I was trying to make uh, maybe in a roundabout way is that he's absolutely entitled to go back to being a footballer it's just, he's just not entitled for it to be easy that he's just not entitled for Sheffield United was the club that he play, was playing with at the time so essentially, I don't believe that he should be able to just walk back into his own job, which is what it looked like in that week mm. in around when uh, Jess Ennis and a few others uh, started objecting to it. He was training away with uh, with Sheffield United, and it, it it looked like they were dipping their toes in the water of of giving him a new contract. Um, I never argued with his with his his right, his human right, his his right as a professional to to go back. Uh, and do it um, I just didn't believe it should have been easy for him Well maybe explain why sport is different then Sport is different because as I and I said later in the piece the day after he got um, released Sheffield United were playing I can't remember who they were playing were they playing Leeds they were, they were Bradford I think Bradford, Bradford mm-hmm. of course and they were on a train uh, going from Sheffield to Bradford and the fans of Sheffield United were singing He's coming for you, he's coming for you, women of Bradford, he's coming for you. Mm. That's why sport is different. Um, Now, obviously, he can't be held responsible for the actions of um, football supporters. But we can't uh, pretend that um, there there isn't a level of example setting that comes with sport or a level of example setting that comes with dealing with people in the public eye or sports people. If somebody if somebody who showed no remorse for this crime is what was welcomed straight back into his old job, I think the message that that sent out uh, was horrendous. And therefore, I just believed it shouldn't have been made easy for him. Is it the job of football clubs that send messages... Like social engineering messages, you know, to to uh, why is why is that their job? I mean, if the law says this guy they, has they served the sentence, their job, Ken, don't they? The the Sheffield United have a lengthy customer charter and community profile on their website. They do big, huge acts in their community. They can't, on the one hand, do that and present themselves as this. Uh, as as a social club, as as part of the social fabric of, of their community, um, just for show. I mean, it's got to mean something, clearly. Yeah, yeah, but all all they're doing is is employing someone who's entitled to work for them and who they're entitled to employ. But it, I, I, as I say, that as a dispassionate ar- argument, as a uh, a perfectly legal argument, I I believe you're a hundred percent right. 
Uh, I don't believe that there should be any legal impediment to Chet Evans going back to work. Um, I just believe on a human level, it should be difficult for him. So, uh, see, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that's difficult to understand. Uh, I mean, is it simply a case of because this case has got so much attention, um, you know, no. because it's a, there are motive issues surrounding it? Why, why should those specific instances override the general principle that somebody who has... But I'm not saying it should override the general principle. I agree with the general principle that he should be allowed to go back to work. Hmm. So you don't have a problem with him joining Oldham? No, not particularly. Like I don't... Uh, uh, I don't... I would uh, my my thinking would have been that by now I would have imagined like when I wrote that that was in November so that's two months ago mm. I would have imagined that by now uh, it would have the the situation would have evolved to a point where he could um, uh, it I I did when I, when I heard that that Oldham were interested last week. I kind of thought, okay, should that maybe that'll be the end of it now? Maybe he will go back to work there. Yeah, you, uh, but but I but I do and and like this is like this isn't a legal argument, mm. but I do think that on on a on a some sort of human level, I think it's right that it's been difficult for him to 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 find his way back. Yeah, what what do you think constitutes it being difficult for him? And you're saying it should be difficult well, what for him. It, what's happened? Or, what's or happened? Should, you know, should you know, continue to happen? what's happened? Like, I have a real problem with the fact that the only level of remorse that the man has shown is to his girlfriend for cheating on him. Mm. I have a real problem with that, you know. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I don't pretend that this is a legal argument on any level. Uh, his argument is that uh, he, he doesn't believe, he, doesn't believe he, he has committed a crime. Mm. But by in the next breath apologising to his girlfriend, he has proven the point that you don't need to commit a crime to show remorse. He could be remorseful for the fact that he uh, slid into this girl's bedroom while his brother was outside the window filming it on his phone. He could uh, apologise for the fact that uh, he jumped into a taxi after his friend texted him to say, I've got a bird. He could apologise for the fact that this was not a very nice thing to do. He could, he could show some remorse for what the girl has gone through in the months since yeah, it has I, happened. I, I think that's, I think a big issue here is the fact that he, you know, he refuses to show any real contrition for what he did. He protests his innocence, um, but the victim herself, she's reportedly been forced to change her identity five times after being named. She wasn't able to go home for Christmas. And Evan supporters' website encourages continued hostility to her. The website is bankrolled, a lot of people know, by Carl Massey, who's the wealthy father yeah. of Evans' girlfriend, uh, Natasha Massey. And she was Evans' girlfriend at the time of the rape as well. And the Attorney General has confirmed that the website is now under investigation and a senior lawyer is examining whether it unlawfully identifies uh, Evans' as rape victim and mm -hmm. commits criminal contempt of court. Now, all these things are disgusting mm. that this continues to happen to the victim. And I think perhaps an issue here is... I presume Evans could himself immediately put a stop to that, the publication heartbeat. of that website. In a heartbeat. The, around the time when he did his piece to camera for, was it for Sky News or for ITV or whoever it was for back in, in November, he absolutely could have said, um, I want anybody uh, supporting me to leave this girl alone. Very, very straightforward. A single sentence would have changed an awful lot. Um, but uh, I just, I, I've been you know, kind of turned off by the guy. Like it's, uh, no, and as I say, I don't say that he can't go back playing football. I just believed that at that time, 
I didn't think it was it was it was up to football to just give him his job back straight yeah, away. Yeah, well, the one thing that I thought was really interesting though was and this is just in the last couple of days. Now, Vera Baird, she's the police and crime commissioner of Northumberland. Uh, she wrote this open letter to Mike Ashley, who's the uh, one of the main owners of Oldham. And he said uh, he should not be taken on as a footballer with the high-profile heroism that young people attach to such figures. It's tantamount to saying that sexual abuse is okay as long as you can play football. Now, if I'm the police and crime commissioner of Northumberland, yeah. I'm either a part of the criminal justice system and yeah. re- and and say, right, the system may not be perfect, but it's the system that I'm working in. Or you're operating outside it. I mean, I, I don't. I must say, I don't. I don't particularly, and I, I'm not particularly wedded to this idea of role models and this idea of these players being heroes to 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 young people. I mean, I, I generally don't don't like holding sports people up to that standard. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, in general, I think it's fairly self-evident that a kid's role model should be its parents and the people around it, not not whoever is on their, their bedroom wall. Um, and so that has never really been my 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 problem with, with Chet Evans. My problem ha- has been more the fact that he just seems like a bit of a grotty so-and-so who uh, doesn't accept that he did anything wrong and who can who knows that the life of the girl has been made a misery and has done nothing to stop that um so i kind of believe that yeah fair enough it's hard for him to get a job again uh, but again he will be a professional footballer again and i don't have any huge problem with that what if he was to um come out now and and sort of uh, apologize for everything that he'd done on the basis on the cynical basis that if he did so it would remove a lot of the, 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 the sort of reason that people seem to have to criticise him at this time. I mean, looking at it, one of the strange things about it is almost that he hasn't... Uh, that he does hasn't seem pretty odd to me. Issued you know, uh, at the same time, Ken, uh, and I know that we can ascribe cynicism to apologies in any number of fields of life, uh, and certainly to people in the public life, but... There has to be a certain level of when somebody apologises, you 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 accept it on a certain amount of face value. So if 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 he did that, you know, then then fair enough. There's not a whole pile we could do about that. But I think you're right. I think it is kind of odd that uh, he hasn't thrown that particular dart at the wall and that, and that because like his life has been pretty rotten for the last couple of months. I mean, uh, anytime you flick on to like the Daily Mail or whatever, he's photographed coming out of Waitrose or whatever, whatever, you know, supermarket he's in, you know, he, he is, he is papped at every angle. It, like this can be no crack for him, but, um, it's, it's much less crack for his victim. Much less. And, and like, I, I, th- I think the, the other thing that, that, that you read out there is uh, whatever about sport, not being about other ways of life, like other ways of life, Rape is a, is a is a crime unlike so many others, you know. It, especially this sort of rape, where you know it's a drunken night. Everything is uh, in shades of grey and blur. Um, there is the possibility of being able to throw the victim's uh, testimony into into sharp relief. Um, you know, people take sides and start retrying a case that has already been tried, that has already gone to appeal, and uh, Evans hasn't. You know, he's he's in the final throes of that with uh, with the the review panel now, um, which 
you know, legal experts in, in England call, you know, the, the very last resort of people who have the money to take it that far. Like the, the, the crime has been committed and, and justice has, has been served. But rape is just so, it's, it's such a grey and complicated area. Um, every survey that you do come across, everything that you read about it tells you that rape is underreported, instances of rape are un, is underreported, instances of conviction of reported rapes uh, are egregiously low. This is a tough crime to prove, and it's a tougher. It's it makes it tougher when this girl's life is made such a misery by people who are supporting the other side of her story purely on the basis that this guy plays for their football club. How do you think, though, teammates and fans will react to him eventually joining another club, Ken? I was watching Sky Sports News last night and there was a fan outside uh, Oldham Stadium and he was saying, I really don't agree with uh, Chet Evans coming to the club, but we do need a goal scorer. <laughs> and uh, if he does join the club, I'll back him 100%. Yeah. And Danny Mills and Kevin Phillips were saying on BBC yesterday that once he starts scoring goals, then the teammates will forget about his past. I don't think the teammates will will uh, have too much of a problem with his past. I'd be surprised. But, I mean, in terms of the fans, I mean, I, I think it's a bad idea for any club to hire Chet Evans. I don't. I think he would have to score a lot of goals to make mm. up for um, what's going to come down. I mean, you know, sponsors are already scattering. Not that you would take it, you know, you expect sponsors to give a moral lead because they're looking mm. for whatever is going to give them positive publicity. That's why they're sponsoring the club. Um, but, you know, there's going to be fans there. I mean, I, I read one... Um, one piece by an Oldham fan uh, who's a QC, which I thought was very good. I mean, he was making the point that for him, Oldham is a club that's meant to kind of um, represent his community. He said, anyone in the greater Manchester area who is looking to support a successful team, you know, with, with good players who score lots of goals, doesn't support Oldham. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's meant to, it's meant to sort of uh, represent something, something besides that, something just besides success on the, on the pitch. Uh, you know, he's saying, can I take my... Yeah, five-year-old kid to to watch this. You know, he's going to be cheering for Chad Evans. Maybe do I want that? You know, do I? Maybe I, I just really can't be bothered with this. You know, it's so so disappointing to him. I mean, he had a, he had a bunch of other reasons as well. I mean, it seems to him, for instance, that the manager doesn't want the player. You know that, that you know some people on the board. You know, reasons specific to the club. I mean, which are aside from the general reasons why it's a big risk for anyone to sign Evans. I mean, it is true that in in football. If you if you're talented and if you can you know be a big player on the field, it tends to erase a lot of the hangups that people might otherwise have about you. I mean, John Terry and Luis Suarez are you know have two player examples of players who have done bad things, and they're known for one thing: they're yeah. known for their for their for their prowess. The end of it, like the law says, this guy is yeah has served the sentence. Okay, he hasn't apologized, but there's nothing in the law about no, an apology. No. So his right is to to work, uh, and until we come up with a better principle on which to base the society, that's just what's yeah, going to happen. Yeah, and Marina Hyde referred to that in her article yesterday, yeah. a really good article. I've I've have more of a problem with rape sentencing than I do the personnel decisions of Oldham Athletic Football Club. So perhaps the petitioning and outrage. Um, you know, it should be directed more at rape settings in, as it currently stands than expecting a football it's not club very, to be the moral guardian. It's not guardian, very you know? sexy thing to be uh, outraged against. You know, uh, it's it, it makes far more. It's far easier to join a Twitter campaign against uh, uh, an individual, a, a, than no, against a, a no good yeah. Nick footballer than. Uh, 
than some nebulous uh, sentencing laws. Okay, Miles, thanks for talking to us. Anytime. Yeah, and there's another great line from Marina Hyde today. Do remember that much of the reason footballers are so always insistently referred to as role models is because that status allows newspapers to write about their private lives. Yeah, I mean, they shouldn't be role models. They shouldn't really be role models to anyone. And, you know, if maybe it's symptomatic of a kind of an unhealthy hero worship that crowds have a tendency towards. I mean, someone else who's been writing a lot about this um, is the columnist Martin Samuels in the Daily, uh, in the Daily Martin Samuel, I should say, in the Daily Mail, who made the point that Chet Evans is actually on the verge of becoming a sympathetic character. That someone who you know has behaved despicably is actually it's actually almost got to the point where um, the campaign against him starts to make people go, "Well, hang on a second, you know what? It's it's you know he's saying this is it's a, I mean his point essentially was that." At the moment, um, if you know, if he, according to the kind of legal principles by which the society is run, he, ha- he is considered to have served the sentence. He is entitled to to resume, uh, you know, employment if a club wants to employ him. You know, the law has nothing to say about that. You know, it's not as though he's a doctor, for instance, a lawyer. You know, works in a sort of professional field such as that in which you would get you can get struck off for an offence such as the, such as the one he was convicted of. Um, you know, he, he makes the point that Evans is a very difficult person uh, to defend because his, you know, much as Malachi was saying, his behaviour has has been without decency. You know, he hasn't. There's nothing to prevent him from showing more decency. Consider, you know, if you if you read the account of um, what actually happened on that night, you know, the court uh, documents relating to it, the way that he behaved, it was it was despicable. You know, it was, you know, he, he treated the girl, you know, very badly and he's continued to treat her badly ever since. You know, he hasn't shown any remorse, as we said, now you can make the point, well, he, you know, if he sincerely believes, uh, you know, he's innocent, then why show remorse for something he doesn't believe that he's actually done? But as, you know, I think Maliki made the point yeah. that there's nothing to stop you uh, from showing some concern for the suffering undergone uh, by a victim, which he hasn't done. You know, he's a, he's a totally unsympathetic character. Uh, you know, he's, he, you know, the, again, the word that keeps coming to my head is despicable. His behavior is despicable. And yet, such is the campaign against them. And such at times, you know, you, you've seen some slightly unhinged things being said that people are going, well, hang on a second, you know. He suddenly becomes an almost... Uh, you know, a champion for people who are saying, well, you know, what about principles such as, you know, it's, it's just, it's a, the whole situation has just been a, become a, I mean, the word, the word that comes into my head is cluster. Mm-hmm. It, it's, a, it's a cluster of something. You know, it's just a disaster. What's interesting here, though, as well, what happens next for Chet Evans if the Oldham deal is 100% off and it, it seems like that's the way it is? Mm. Does that actually mean that, a move for him in English football in any shape or form isn't going to happen. Well, I find I find it difficult to see how he can come back. I mean, the teams at any club who any club that tries to sign Chad Evans is going to, you know, well, what well, what makes you so special? I mean, Sheffield United have already decided against this. Oldham have decided against this. Um, you know, why are you? I mean, the only thing that Chad Evans has in his favour is his talent, is his record of. 35 goals in his last uh, in the last season that he played um that's that's the only reason why you know why, why any of these clubs would still be interested in him and the question is is it enough to outweigh um everything that comes with him now the fact that any club that tries to sign him is going to be again become uh, the target of this campaign 
you know, again, there will be petitions. There's going to be, you know, policemen, politicians getting involved saying this is a bad idea. All your sponsors are going to pull out. Half of your fans are going to threaten to walk away. Um, (laughs) You know, it's I can't imagine why anyone would want to get involved with that, which is not to say that it's. Which is not to say that it's right, that they absolutely shouldn't. I'm, I'm not convinced of that myself, but I can understand from the point of view of any um, self-interested chairman looking at it, why do I want to get involved in this? You know, there's no need for me. Chad Evans got nothing to do with me. You know, I don't have to, uh, you know, I don't have to necessarily get, get into this. So uh, I find it difficult actually to see Chad Evans working for another club in, in, uh, in England or in, in Britain. And given that he's at the moment, anyway, barred from working abroad because he's a sex offender on a license. Um, I don't really see a way back into the game for him uh, in the short or medium term. Don't like to finish on such a dark, if very interesting story, but that's all from us today. Make sure you listen to Irish Times Second Captain's Football, also available today and all the Irish Times podcasts at irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. I'm off to watch the golden girl Trina Gulliver's attempt to win another women's BDO title, Mark. Ah, uh, here we go. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, lads. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. All the best. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.